Welcome back to the Brothers and Others podcast. We've now made it to episode four without getting canceled. Got a special treat as we have a guest joining today, Alex Baker. Uh, Baker is a longtime friend of both Marsh Brothers. Uh, We met Alex when he first joined the swim team. uh, And then back in 2009, he joined the water polo team. Uh, I was the first one to meet Baker, but obviously you can't meet one Marsh brother without meeting both. Uh, in true small town fashion, shout out to Okemos, Alex's uncle swam and played water polo with our dad, Ronald Marsh, uh, for Okemos back in the 70s. Like the Marsh brothers, Alex attended Michigan State University where he got a degree from the James Madison College. He also played on the club water polo team with both Marsh brothers during his time at State. He went on to get a master's degree from Indiana University, and during his studies, he was fortunate enough to spend two years living in Germany. He was truly lucky as he was even able to travel to Ludwigsburg to watch Jake play water polo during his first stint uh, professionally in Germany. Alex went on to live and work in Washington, D.C. for two years after college. He worked in the foreign policy field and dealt with U.S.-Europe relations. A career shift and change of heart led Alex to pursue a position as an organizer with the Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign. Alex worked in Nevada where Bernie Sanders won a resounding victory in the 2020 Democratic primary. Alas, the double whammy of COVID and Super Tuesday ended Bernie's chances of the 2020 nomination and Alex accepted a job in Alaska to work with the Alaska Democratic Party. After that stint, Alex joined the Alaska AFL-CIO where he is celebrating two years on the job next week. Alex is an avid sports fan, chess player, and traveler. Although he has was a state champion in chess, he has never defeated Sam in chess. It's a very interesting tidbit. He enjoys many of the activities Alaska has to offer, such as hiking, camping, curling, and cross-country skiing. He's a vice president of his local union and is passionate about workers' rights. He resides in Anchorage, Alaska with his girlfriend Emily, also an ex-college water polo player, and their two dogs. As you can tell, he's a man of many interests and many talents, so I hope you kick back, relax, and enjoy the pot today. What up, though? Welcome back to another episode of Brothers and Others. I'm your co-host, Sam Marsh. And I am your co-host, Jacob Marsh. And we're joined by the ever-talented... Legendary. Alex Baker. What's up, man? Guys, I'm uh, flattered by the intro there. Good to be here, calling in from uh, Anchorage, Alaska today, and... Uh, as a hundred percent listener of the podcast, I gotta say it's an honor to be one of the first guests on your show. Yeah, hell yeah, dude! To have you, Thank man. you. How many hours of sunshine did you get up in Alaska today? <laughs> we're rocking mid twenties. We're gaining daylight, so we're getting there. Uh, talk to me again in a few months, and I'll tell you twenty-four. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, For those of you who are unaware, uh, Alex is another Michigander just like us, grew up in Okemos, um, and he had the pleasure of flying all the way to Green Bay, Wisconsin to check out the Lions taking on the Packers this past weekend. Uh, How long was that trip, man? That must have taken, like, at least, what, seven hours, eight hours? Oh, man, longer than that. It was a doozy. I flew through Minneapolis, which is typically how I get back to the Midwest, anchorage to Minneapolis, laid over there, and then um, flew to Milwaukee. Um, 
the story of how I got the tickets is I've got a uh, former roommate from Michigan State who works in Milwaukee now. And uh, mid-season, he had a co-worker who's got Green Bay uh, season tickets. And that, you know, if you recall, mid-season was it was looking like both teams were out of it. Both teams, yeah. you know, the Packers were down. The Lions had the slow start. And so uh, this this friend of mine got the tickets, and I think his coworker probably regretted it leading up. But uh, credit to him for not taking the tickets back. <laughs> anyway, my friend said, wow. leading up to the game, uh, you know, you find you find a way to uh, Wisconsin. You got a ticket with your name on it. He had four of them. So me and some college friends met up there. Uh, I got to see Milwaukee for a day. It's a nice little city. Uh, we headed up early on uh, Sunday to the game and had a hell of a time. How cold was it? Mid-20s most of the game. I got to say, coming from Alaska, it wasn't <laughs> anything too crazy. I was I was bundled and, and prepared for it. Of course, I uh, you know had my uh, liquid uh, extra layer on there as well after a day of tailgating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it, yeah, it, was, uh, it was okay. You know, came off. <laughs> I talked about it. We said, Lambeau Field, we got to do shirts off for at least one drive. And we chose that final Lions drive when they ran out the clock. And uh can say I did it. Watched Lions win a Lambeau shirtless. <laughs> what did so? What did you think of Green Bay as an actual city? What was your uh, intake on it? We didn't see a ton of the city of Green Bay, but we did get there early. Did a lap around the stadium, explored, um, you know, the Title Town area, the Hall of Fame. They've got all the area around the stadium kind of built up. Um, and then it's right across the street from some neighborhoods and, you know, the, the tailgates kind of take over the neighborhoods. <laughs> um, it's, it's truly got to be, I haven't been to a ton of NFL stadiums, but it's got to be one of the more unique NFL stadiums, if not the most unique, just given how it's not in a big downtown area. It's not in the middle of a parking lot. Um, you know, it really feels like if you plopped it down right, right in a place like East Lansing, you know, Green Bay's got about a hundred thousand people. Um, I'm sure there's townies who walk over to the game. Um, you know, it, it's truly unique in that sense. Um, and also it's, it's probably one of those few stadiums left and you really get chills when you walk in, in there. It's kind of got that mystique. It's, it's huge. It gives you that kind of intimidating feeling when you're walking up the steps. It's got like that kind of courthouse entrance where you're walking up these giant concrete steps. You walk in there. Um, you know, you're looking at all the, you know, retired numbers, all the Packers titles, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I compare it to something like going to Notre Dame Stadium or even the Rose Bowl. It's it's one of those places where if your team ever plays there, uh, you got to cross it off the list. And I'm I'm glad I got to do that. How much yeah, man, cheese did you consume? You? <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw my uh, my Twitter account. I, I threw a tweet up after the game that said I was one third cheese. One third Miller Lite and one third Man. So uh, that, that's that's a, I think the rough breakdown of my my composition after that weekend. <laughs> Are there any other like NFL stadiums you kind of have on your list that you want to cross off, or is it more just about being able to see the Lions succeed and maybe some postseason success? This this really kind of piqued my interest. Um, maybe it's one of those things where I started with one of the better ones too early. Um, but I've been to Ford Field, of course, but I haven't been to any other um, NFL stadiums and, and seen the Lions away. Now that they're getting better, I might try to prioritize that. But um, 
You know, Denver. I've heard great things about Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Denver is another one I've heard good things. And then, of course, it'd be fun to see you guys down there in Dallas. Hell think, yeah, uh, dude. Lions Jerry's World. Next year if, uh, yeah, it'd be a Jerry's fun place to see a game. I'm sure uh, to have a good good weekend out of that. Um, but um, the other one on, on my list that I think is, is pretty attainable is um, the Vikings' new stadium, their, their modern dome there. I, as I mentioned, it's a – Pretty easy flight, all things considered. Anchorage to Minneapolis is direct a few times a day. Um, you know, nice sitting in a dome. So, yeah. Yeah, or maybe even down to Seattle. I feel like that's got to be not too bad of a flight from Alaska. Yeah, that'd be a good one, too. They got the Rockin' Stadium there in Seattle. Well, and I mean, worst case, if you don't make it down for a football game, I'm sure you'll be making it down here for the World Cup. Um, 2026, baby. Yeah, I know Jake and I were both very excited about that potential of having the games here and having them hosted at Jerry's World. Um, and I'm speaking of World Cup, uh, I mean, this past World Cup, I mean, was there any surprises from you on how it played out? Well, before we get into that, just a little bit of background. Alex is a football, a.k.a. soccer. He's a soccer junkie. Okay, his Baker, can you go into kind of how you got super developed into the football fandom? Sure. I think now uh junkie would be uh, you know, selling what I am, overselling what I am. I I try to watch when I can. There was a time in in my life where I could tell you what was going on in the German second division, um, you know, the Premier League top to bottom. Um not quite that way anymore. Time difference has really hit hit my uh, soccer watching habits hard, but I still enjoy it. Um, my grandfather uh, is from the Netherlands and kind of instilled in me um, from a young age my soccer fandom. Um, you know, what I went on to study at Michigan State um, led me to live in, in Europe for a couple of years. Um, obviously gave me a front row seat uh, to a lot of good soccer over there, um, including, you know, Jake. We had that match together in Dresden, yes. which is uh, – you know, still one of my, my better matches uh, I've attended, great atmosphere. So ever, ever since then, and just kind of, you know, that uh, that experience, um, I, I followed the sport pretty closely and had an awesome time uh, watching the World Cup. It was a little bit different with the non-summer World Cup, but um, <clears throat> it lined up pretty well with the, um, you know, kind of Thanksgiving and kind of that time where you've got basketball, football. Was the time change for you okay? with uh, when the World Cup games were starting? Yeah, they were. I was able to throw a few on at work. Um, I was able to wake up before work and watch some of the big ones. Um, but, yeah, you know, when you've got the, you know, play, uh, kind of a random place like uh, Qatar, it's always going to be a, a bad timing for someone. I'm just fortunate that it wasn't, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. kickoff. Right. Sort of thing. Yeah, most definitely. How did you feel about the whole controversy of Qatar hosting it? Some bad feelings. I mean, we've talked about this. Uh, you know, FIFA makes, you know, some of the world's largest cartels and organized crime syndicates look, look mild. I mean, FIFA is the, one of the most corrupt uh, sporting organizations on the planet. You know, like, it, it's just rich. Um, you know, even Germany, you know, bought their World Cup in 2006. And really? I have no doubt there's shenanigans at play when North America got theirs uh, coming up. So, 
you know, there's not much you can do. The, the sports just become so commoditized and, and monetized. And, um, you know, it was pretty bad to see the way they treated their workers. I think we're going to get into what I do a profession for a profession a little bit later in the, in the episode. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was a joke. It was a mockery. And um, I, that's not to say that region of the world shouldn't get a World Cup, but um, it should be done right and it shouldn't be done underhanded and they should have to, you know, adhere to the standards that we have in the in the first world. Yeah, I know the labor rights one was a really big issue and not to mention the whole farce of them saying that they could create stadiums that was going to have enough AC power to keep it cool during the summer, which obviously didn't end up happening. Amid all that yeah. controversy, though, how do it's you a lot of... I, I think what happened on the field, you can't, you can't be disappointed. It was an awesome World Cup from a spectator standpoint. Um, you know, to have that ending with Messi winning the World Cup, you know, objectively was a good ending, I think, for most fans. Um, you know, there's some good surprises. There's so much parody now um, in the game where you've got countries like Morocco able to make a semifinal. Or um, Poland no, qualifying for the, the group stages. Po- exactly, making a nice, nice uh, little little run there. Exactly. So um, I loved watching it. I thought it was a great tournament, and I'm already excited for the next one. What are you watching out for the next World Cup? Like leading up to it. Um, the talks of expansion, I actually don't know if that's finalized or not. I mean, they were talking about, you know, making a larger field, um, adding more, more qualifying countries from each continent. I just mentioned the parody. I, I think it's good. I mean, you talk about countries like, uh, you know, Italy, who didn't even qualify. Um, Chile, who's normally a, a power in South America, didn't qualify. Sweden, who's had some good teams, didn't qualify. I mean, who's had some really good teams in the past and qualify, you know, you can, you can expand and you're not going to lose quality. And I think, you know, for, for people around the world to see their country play in the world cup, it's such a big deal. I, I'm a general supporter of the expansion of it. Um, with so many host cities in North America, what I hope they do is, you know, they have the ability to play in one location for the group stages and not, not send these teams from Northeast United States down to Dallas up, to Seattle for three three games or something. I don't know how they're going to do it logistically, but it adds so much when you get to spend time in a city with the fans of a couple other nations. And, you know, that's that's really what it's all about is coming together and getting to see fans from all around the world and soaking in the atmosphere. So well, just, and not to mention, too, issue the, and, I was going to say the time difference going from the Eastern time zone to the West coast. I mean, look at how the NFL and NBA players struggle with doing that. So I can't even imagine what it would be like after you just played a 90 minute football game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it in the NBA, the, uh, you know, wear and tear on these guys. And I think soccer players have that too. Um, so maybe what they'll do is give them a little bit of extra time between games. If they were to make them go, um, you know, cross country or something, but I, yeah, I hope they, um, you know, uh, and uh, give them adequate rest. I think <clears throat> later on in the tournament, um, what you saw is the deeper teams did better. You know, with the new five substitution rule, um, teams who could bring on subs and and not see a big uh, quality really the ladder rounds. I think, uh, 
you know, it hurt a team like Croatia who had some world-class players, but once you started getting deep on the bench, um, there's a drop in quality. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm already excited for the next one. I, I have no doubt um, North America will host a good World Cup. I just hope the, um, you know, the, the try to sacrifice of a good tournament. Now, what would you hold on? One, I just had one more question, Sam. Um, what would you think about, because Sam and I had chatted about this uh, while we were watching some of the games. What would you think about having a new rule where a player could sub out and then after a certain time period could be subbed back in? So let's say you weren't a deeper team but you could sub out somebody like Gareth Bale, for example, for 15, 20 minutes, and then you could sub him back in and use it as basically two substitutions on the same player. Do you think they would ever go for something like that? Well, that's interesting. Um, I think that the transition to even five substitutions was, was such a deviation from the traditional mindset of soccer. Like, you know, we we all play water polo, and you know, can we tell how many times different rules have changed in water polo? No, they're changing every couple of years. Um, and say, we just yeah. accept it as, as that's the way it is. But you know, soccer is a sport. Just you know, even to get um, the video uh, replay in there was was a huge lift. I mean, you still see that booed in Germany in stadiums when they go to review a call, even if it's going to benefit really? the the team, you know, whose home stadium it is. So you know, they're uh, Fans are a different breed, and you know what I'm saying is a little bit Eurocentric right now. But that's, I think, where the game is is headquartered in many ways. Um, yeah. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I, I don't really have strong feelings on it either way. I think it, it definitely would add add an interesting aspect to it. Um, you know, defense for offense type things. If you're tied, maybe you want to bring in an attacker. You pick up your goal. Maybe you want to sub back in a defender who you took out earlier in the game. So, yeah, it's interesting. What's the five substitute rule that you referred to? So it used to be in soccer, you had three substitutions and you could make them um, whenever you wanted. And so now what you had is you had three windows to make five substitutions. So, for example, you could do, um, you know, a substitution for one player, a substitution for two players. And then on that third substitution, you could substitute three more players to give you a total of five substitutions but you did it in three windows. Um, and I think mm. the, the reasoning behind that was what I was getting into with the wear and tear. You know, these guys are putting miles and miles on their legs. They just have come off playing with their clubs. After the World Cup, they're going to go back to play with their clubs. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they they realized, you know, they want to keep up some some semblance of quality in the later rounds. And also, you know, you got to think about these, these guys. You know, they've got a short window to play in their career. And, you know, so many of the soccer injuries you see are are mostly, um, you know, due to the impact of playing. Um, you don't see as many torn ACLs. What you see is more hamstring injuries, um, you know, things that kind of come with, um, you know. You guys still there? Yeah, I was going to say, Baker, I couldn't hear anything you just were saying. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, 
<laughs> that was the longest it's a little bit abruptly i might have not just been i might have just been silent um i said my piece i think <laughs> wait, wait, wait. you just like i feel like i no i i, I felt like it got like muffled and then maybe you ended it or something um but okay um <laughs> Um, I would get more listeners. We can upgrade on the technology. Yeah, <laughs> we're on a limited budget. <laughs> we gotta get a Patreon set up first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was gonna ask you. Um, I was reading the story where apparently Ronaldinho had introduced Kobe to Messi when he was seventeen and said he was gonna be the goat. Um, now that Messi's won a World Cup, like, where is Messi on, like, the greatest of all time list for you as a giant football soccer fan? Well, that's a tough question. Um, first off, I've got to say what he did or has done with his whole career to be anointed, uh, you know, the, the second coming of Pele or whatever. And to do what he's done, uh, both with club and country now is, is pretty darn impressive. I mean, the, LeBron James is probably the closest thing that we've ever had in American sports. And, um, they're both in discussions of the, the greatest of all time in their respective sport. I, I really don't like, uh, getting into this because, uh, you know, I was born in 1992. So, you know, I've heard and read about people like Johan Cruyff, Pele, Maradona, but it's different when you get to watch them in their prime. I mean, Sure, you can look at all the highlights of, um, you know, Messi scoring goals, but, you know, part of what Messi does so great is, like, you know, his run pull people off, you know, how he's got 11 sets of eyes on him when he has the ball. Um, you really saw it with Barcelona when he had, um, you know, so much talent around him. So, you know, he's clearly top three or four player of all time. Is he the greatest of all time? I, I don't know, but um, I'd put him ahead of Ronaldo for contemporary players. Um, you know, just – like I said, what he's done for Argentina and, and, and Barcelona and doing still at the club level is, yeah. Yeah. And comparing him to LeBron, that was another thing I was going to ask you. Obviously, we're seeing it both in the NFL and NBA with advancements in technology and dieting, that sort of stuff. Um, players are playing longer and older than they ever had before. Is that something that's also occurring in soccer or has that not started yet? Oh, it's definitely there in soccer. Um, you know, it's probably come a little bit later than in American sports. Um, like, I, one thing I like about soccer is I, I really enjoy reading about it, um, you know, different teams and, and, you know, kind of historical context of soccer. And as late as the 1980s, you had some of the best teams in England, and these guys were going out on benders the night before the game, uh, cigarettes <laughs> and like this – this is the same time that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were going back and forth. And I'm not saying Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were on the cutting edge of, you know, veganism and, and strength and conditioning. <laughs> but I have a tough time thinking, you know, Larry Bird was in the pub until 2 a.m. playing a game seven. Whereas, like, the Liverpool teams of the 80s, like, some of those guys were. And they were showing up to training Jeez. big games um, and still, you know, doing what they were doing, dominating in, in Europe. So, yeah, I think it's there, though. I mean, if you look at a guy like Ronaldo um, – Luka Modric. I mean, that guy is, I mean, 
Yeah, Luka Modric too. Probably I Modric. imagine is you know on the cutting edge of that. Um, well, no, but he was yeah. super old, isn't Sorry. he? Role well, for a soccer player? What is he? Thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Uh, he's he's getting up there for sure. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you are kind of catching up now with um, you know the the dietitians and the strength and conditioning, advanced analytics, all of that. Um, you know. Like I said, Cristiano Ronaldo kind of embodies that. The guy's like zero percent body fat, and he'll probably play at a high level until his early forties. Yeah, and he's got that Saudi Arabia money. He's gonna play till he's fifty because yeah. he's getting paid like that. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. god damn, dude, two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Man, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Uh, another thing, kind of, when we're talking about the World Cup, as people love to say, and it, it's kind of always drives me nuts, is, uh, well, just imagine if, uh, you know, our, our best NBA players or, you know, Tyree Kill was playing striker, <laughs> and it's like, you know, soccer, it, it, it is different. Don't, don't get me wrong, if you put Messi's foot skills on Tyree Kill, that's somebody that probably would be an all-time great, but, you know, a guy like Luka Modric isn't overly impressive with his athleticism, um, you know, uh, a guy like Lewandowski is a great athlete, but it's all about his technique and, and that left foot he has. Um, so I, I think that, you know, athleticism gets you so far in soccer, but, you know, it's a mental game, but also it's all technique too. Um, Messi's 5'7", all of 155 pounds on a good day. Um, so, yeah. And, that, and yeah, it's some, not like some of these guys. Rogues of the soccer world, either. You know, it's not like he's yeah, an athletic yeah. anomaly with his size. Yeah, that's wild. So you kind of already mentioned it earlier when you were talking about the worker problems with the World Cup and relating to your work. Uh, could you speak more to that and kind of let the listeners know what a typical day in the life of work looks like for you and what you're involved in? Yeah, so I work for uh, the Alaska AFL-CIO, and AFL-CIO is kind of a big acronym, uh, but it essentially is the uh, Federation of Labor Unions in our state. Um, there's a national AFL-CIO, uh, which all labor unions in the United States belong to, and then each state has a respective federation uh, of labor unions as well. AFL uh, is the American Federation of Labor, and the CIO is the Congress of Industrial Organizations. And for you historians out there, um, after the FDR years, um, they combined to make one organization uh, to kind of, you know, strike the numbers and, you know, have, have the most uh, say in, um, you know, American and politics. So <clears throat> this is when Truman was president? This was in um, the early 1950s. So this would have been Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Wait, did Jimmy Hoffa start the unions? If you're talking Baker, I can't hear anything. Jimmy Hoffa? Yeah, I thought Jimmy Hoffa started the unions. Isn't that right? Started about Jimmy Hoffa and got muffled. Oh, yeah, no, I was just asking if it was correct that Jimmy Hoppe was the one that started unions. So, um, he was later on. on he for, was a teamster. Oh. So, the United States has been around since the late 1800s. Um, 
he's probably the most uh, synonymous of labor unions or most well-known historical figure. But no, they were around a long time, um, you know, really got big in the 30s um, with the Great Depression um, and the FDR years. But um, no, they've been around a while before. before. Well, yeah, but, oh, I'll go back to the typical day question you asked, Sam. Um, so, you know, what I do for um, the labor unions in the state of Alaska is um, really help them with their uh, policy and political work, their communications work, and then some of the, uh, like, issue advocacy and organizing. Um, you know, most of the people who work uh, for their respective unions, whether it's, you know, the Carpenters Union, the Teachers Union, the Firefighters, and, you know, they're doing the hard work of representing their members at the bargaining table, dealing with grievances, um, you know, making sure that their their members needs are met. And what they do then is they outsource kind of the larger stuff, the relationships with um, elected officials at the local level, state level, national level, um, you know, the issue advocacy uh, and, and public awareness campaigns. I mean, so much of what union members do is elected. Uh, or sorry, what impacts union members is decided by elected officials. People are always saying, well, I don't like how my, my union is so political. It's like, well, your union gets work from the budgets that come from Washington, D.C. and the state of Alaska. If you're a, let's say you're a laborer on um, road construction primarily, you're only going to get work if there's money in the budget for deferred maintenance on our highways. Or if you're a, so you're working of Alaska and um, you know there's only so much capacity at the port of Alaska to to have X amount of cargo ship you're only going to get that much work if we can expand the port of Alaska you're going to get more work where does that money to expand the port come from Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan and Mary Peltola are, are lawmakers sitting in Washington so it's um, really comes down to me and my co-workers to to make sure that you know we're our members and budgets, but also laws that impact our members, um, you know, are getting fully vetted, um, that we're there at the table to make sure our members' needs are met. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, some of the COVID safety precautions that came uh, with people working in, you know, plants and factories, things like that, um, you know, there needs to be kind of represented, and that's, that's me and my coworkers' job. You guys are out on the front lines, like trying to make the Amer it better for the American workforce. And I think what's so important to me and one of the reasons why I'm so appreciative of what you do, Alex, is that we need more worker rights advocates out there. Because if people are not aware, we essentially live in a corporate oligarchy. That's what our entire setup is right now, is that. All the major policy decisions are influenced by these lobbyists in Washington who pay off the politicians in various forms, whether it's directly or indirectly. And we need more people to step up for the rest of us because there's no one else to do it. So I, for one, I'm very appreciative that you do what you do, Alex. Thank you. Well, thank you, Jake. And yeah, I mean, even though I, I work for union members, I mean, a lot of what we do is just advocating for workers in general. What we do help, helps, I think, a lot of people in non-union jobs as well. I mean, one deal, for example, that we uh, were 
advocating for in Alaska was a wage transparency bill. Right now in Alaska, your employer can still retaliate against you if you're talking about your wage with your coworkers in your workplace. And that is used to do things like pay women less, pay young people less, you know, deny promotions, deny raises. And so it's, that helps everyone, right? If you're able to talk about your wages in the, in the workplace, you know, that, that's a time for their sole votes, in my opinion. So um, that's just one example of kind of going beyond the, the union member uh, aspect. And why do I feel like unions get a bad rep? Is that just like corporations trying to push that message because in the end it's going to work out bad for them if all the workers unite and come together to get more rights? Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. Um, but, you know, I'll give the full picture, too. I mean, there are individuals who have given unions a bad name. Um, you know, I think unions are blamed for the bad people that sometimes, you know, fly the flag. But that's not, to, you know, that's the same as corporate America, right? I mean, people don't look at hedge fund managers and all assume Bernie Madoff. I mean, I, I have my thoughts on hedge fund managers. But, like, you know, people might look at a union member and they think Jimmy Hoffa, um, you know, lead pipe uh, to the knee, you know, all the stereotypes you see in movies and TV shows. Um, and so I, I think there's a double standard there in that, like, you know, the, the amount of wage theft that goes on in corporate America and the amount of underhanded stuff is is probably a lot more than your average union in 2022. Um, but uh, the other thing that I think has really hurt um, organizing for young people and kind of uh, the of being able to kind of organize a union where there's a lot of millennials or Gen Z is this grind culture. You know, if you work hard, if you you're nine to five, get a side hustle, you know, uh, get a rental property empire. Going. Like, sure, I'm not going to say that, you know, there aren't people who probably have done really well with this quote unquote grind culture. But like for our generation, like we're coming out with a ton of, you know, uh, student debt. A lot of people, um, you know, the healthcare we probably isn't as good as the employer or healthcare that our, that our parents' generation had. We don't have pensions by and large. Um, homes are more affordable than ever. And so, you know, a union just provides a lot of stability um, that, you know, our, our generation doesn't know by and large. I have a pension at work. That's that's almost unheard of for millennials. Um, my healthcare is pretty darn good. I, I you know, um, I grew up with two parents who were in a union and I grew up with good healthcare and I'm lucky that the healthcare I have now is every bit as good because that's just part of the union difference. Like you get good healthcare. That's that's what we fight for at the bargaining table. Um, so I think we've got to do a better job in the labor movement of telling our story to young people, especially what we can offer and um, you know, kind of what what young people have been cheated out of. And I I truly say cheated out of. Like if you look at a 401k, you know that that was done over time to save employer side money. Like if you if you you know. Um, you know, you're going to have a good retirement, um, but you're, you're taking on more of the liability than your employer in that situation, um, you know, and it's all been tipped in the, the scale has been tipped on the side of the employer and the worker has been the one to, to really kind of pay the price over time. Um, and I'm hoping that changes. Um, union favorability is as high as it's been in a long, long time. Um, you kind of see this this youthful energy with like uh, Starbucks trying to unionize and um, mm -hmm. you know Amazon. I'm hoping uh, we're kind of in a new generation of you know the labor movement and, and workers uh, realize they do have to organize. We need yeah. it, man. We need it.
what was the book about the meat packing plant in Chicago back in the early 20th century? What was the name of that book? Do you guys know which one? We had to read it in school way back when. The Jungle. Yes. Upton Upton Sinclair. Yes. That is exactly what some of the, what I feel if I were to compare what some of the corporations can get away with today. That's what it feels like to me. It doesn't really feel any different. Yeah, it, the people aren't being forced to work like 22-hour days and this, that, and the other. But the amount of money that these corporations choose to pay themselves instead of investing back into the people that actually make the company go, it's maddening. And, I, you know, I, I like I said, I, I got to hand it to you, Alex. It's really nice to see that uh, you're able to be out there on the front lines and doing something about it because – we need, we desperately need uh, we desperately need more workers' rights, and not just in the country, in the entire world. I mean, it's really abysmal when you think about it worldwide. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when I think about people doing my job, East Asia and uh, yeah, workers' rights are, are pretty much non-existent in some of those countries. Well, and for a labor revolution to really occur, obviously part of it's going to have to be elected officials. Um, what's your outlook like leading up for the next election? Like, what are you looking out for? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the downside of my job is you know when one election is over and we're already looking on to the next one. It's, uh, <laughs> That's just that comes with the territory. I think you guys live in a really interesting study of Texas, and you know that that's kind of the future of our politics in a way. Um, you know, you've got um, a lot of self-selecting conservative people coming from places like California and the Northeast, um, but you've also got the demographics of kind of you know young people and um, a lot of uh, first-generation and second-generation Latino immigrants who um, you know. Persuadable, uh, you know, vote demographic, but the, you know, traditionally the, those should be um, base democratic voters. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in your state. But I think, uh, by and large, in the in the nation, we're kind of dealing with the, some of the same dynamics. As the redder states are almost becoming more red, and the bluer states are becoming more blue, with a couple purple states. Um, I'm hoping, you know, you guys are red right now, but can consider you purple in a couple elections. What can I say about um, the upcoming election uh, in in 2024 and, and maybe even a little bit beyond is I think that there is a growing, uh, you know, population that probably fit into it that are somewhat disillusioned with both parties and independence. Um, and in Alaska, we actually uh, have more registered independent voters than we do Democrats and Republicans combined. We're a unique state in that regard. And wow. so we wow. uh, instituted, yeah, that is, it's a pretty surprising stat for most people. Um, so what we instituted in 2022 for the first time was ranked choice voting. And so at the state level, the only other uh, state in the union that has this is Maine. And what we found with this, at, uh, it's only one election that's, that's uh, you know, been used so far, but, uh, it led to less polarization. So when you look at our statewide elections, what happened um, was the governor style Republican. 
for U.S. Senator, we elected Lisa Murkowski, who is a Republican, but definitely not in the Trump mold. Trump came to Alaska to endorse against her. And then for our lone U.S. Uh, representative in, in the U.S. House of Representatives, we elected a Democrat. So we had very different outcomes, but I think what you found was all three of those candidates were palatable to probably the middle third of voters, which is really what won them their, their respective elections. But when you look at our, our state Senate and our state House, what you saw almost throughout the state was, um, and other than in a few very blue or very red districts, the most pragmatic, centrist, palatable candidate won. In and so I personally, living in a red state, I'm very excited about ranked choice voting. I, I don't love Lisa Murkowski by any means, but I think she was certainly better than the alternative. Um, and if this works to moderate our politics and where you have a consensus builder, um, then I'm, I'm all for it in a red state. And, um, you know, New York used this, uh, New York City, I'm sorry, has used this in their, um, to kind of sort uh, like-minded on the progressive side. Um, and I think that's an interesting application, too. Like, if you have a bunch of the same type of Republicans or the same type of Democrats, maybe you use ranked choice voting to, to sort through that, too. So, anyway, I think it's a positive uh, kind of development in our politics. I think more states and more localities are going to look at this with an interested eye in the future. Yeah, anything we can do to make sure that Cancun Cruz does not get reelected down here in Texas. And uh, I would hope that ranked choice voting would help contribute to uh, the political demise of that man. Well, and I feel like it, that's going to be one of the tough things to get passed in multiple states just because the people in power wouldn't benefit from it. And they're the ones that would have yeah. to get it done. So we'll definitely see. Um, well said. I know we wanted to touch on some Oki Polo fantasy. Anything else that before we move on to that, Baker, that you wanted to touch about, uh, you know, your work or World Cup unions? Well, I feel like you guys have let me talk, and I am probably not doing a good job of kicking it back to you, but I think I've said my piece. Um, I think I made the case for, you know, why unions are important in 2022. Um so yeah, thanks for giving me uh giving me the time, and I'm happy to move on uh, to talk some fantasy and uh, life and open. Oh yeah, man. Well, and I don't think our listeners will complain at all because they're used to listening <laughs> just us all the time. So I think it's refreshing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. But yeah, I mean, Oki Polo Fantasy. This was year sixteen, fifteen. Jake's historian. <clears throat> this was your. Hold on. Check for you. One moment. I'm disappointed you didn't know off the top of your head. Sorry. Uh, it's um, 16. Okay, thank you. But yeah, I mean, Jake and I luckily avoided last place. That was really our drama. But uh, yeah, you had a nice little run in the playoffs. Yeah, I did. I did. In the season, um, you know, we've been doing auction draft for what three years now, four years. Yeah, now? this so was year three. This was year three of the auction draft. Yeah, so I got uh, last last season, and um, I went with the strategy last season to go all out. I think on a couple players, and they didn't hit, and I uh, got last place. So I reversed course this year. I loaded up on wide receivers, got myself Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, and then um, DeAndre Hopkins and Keenan Allen. 
Uh, those top two guys, Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill, really made sure I was going to be middle of the pack um, with their ceiling every week. And then DeAndre Hopkins had a few good weeks before the Cardinals imploded. Keenan Allen never panned out. But, um, no, with, with my team, uh, I got to be happy with, uh, you know, making it to the semifinals. I ran into a juggernaut and Greg had a good team. Um, but it was a fun season, and I think I, I like uh, my draft strategy going forward, loading up on some wide receivers that are, you know, uh, high ceiling guys, and um, trying to find a, you know, a streamer or two at a, you know, running back and quarterback position. Yeah, you did a really nice job uh, on your streaming options this year. I have to give you some some kudos on that, especially since uh, I was only able to beat Mike. Um, shout out to Mike, man. I really hope you enjoy doing the hot ones, dude. I really appreciate you just taking <laughs> that one on the chin uh, and letting me escape with just a, the tiniest shred of dignity at the end of this year. So shout out to Mike, man. You still have to do your punishment, yeah, don't yeah. you, Baker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, well, I, I think these punishments are best done in person, and I don't know when the next time we're all going to get together is. Um, you know, it's been a minute. I don't think we've got any weddings upcoming. Um, but uh, get Keenan on the Zoom and have Alex send me the sauces, and we'll work it out. Yeah, I'm excited. Are, can you are you a spicy food type of guy, Baker? How do you normally handle spicy food? So I, I'm like a, I'm gonna do some researching on how to mitigate or like train or build up tolerance because um, <laughs> I always joke with. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry, Alex. Sweat sweatpants. You know, like Cassius Winston used to wear. Like uh, otherwise, I'm just gonna be drenched in sweat and. Um, so yeah, it's it's not gonna be good. Um, I, yeah, maybe Zoom is is better in that regard, so I can you know uh, tap out or something if I just uh, feel like passing out. <laughs> hey, as I'm, long as you make it better than the equivalent of Alex's pickle bet, you'll be all right, dude. <laughs> well, and I'm disappointed, Alex. I, I thought I remember you being able to handle the hot pot at Udon. That's why it was such a uh, good call at that time of night after those activities was uh, I just sweat it all out. You know, it's like the sauna at the Mac was closed. So it's like, what's the next best thing? Just order spicy food. (laughs) But then you had to get up the next day and go do an executive at the Mac. That was really the best way to just cleanse yourself after a night, uh, you know, at at such fine establishments as, you know, P.T. O'Malley's or... uh, the Riv. Oh, yeah. Finest of all East Lansing establishments. Yeah. Hot did cat. You, <laughs> did you make any trades this year in fantasy football, Alex, or did you stay put with just who you drafted and doing uh, the waiver wire pickups? Um, I got Justin Fields on the waiver wire, which was, in hindsight, one of the better moves of the season, I think. Um, he single-handedly won me a few games. Um, but I'll, I'll use this opportunity to call Cameron out. You know, I gave Cameron an absolute, uh, an absolute, uh, steal of a trade. I think I was offering up like one of the wide receiver ones on my team and, and maybe like a nice, nice flex piece for Lamar Jackson. And he sat on it because Cameron doesn't like to trade. Um, so Cameron calling you out, you probably would have had a nice season had you picked up those guys and got rid of, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson. We made a trade, Baker. Olave for Raheem Mostert. Right, that's right. Yeah, that was a decent trade. I think neither of us like 
you know, it wasn't a season changer for either of us, but it was nice. I think it helped us both out a little bit. If I was, if I had, if I had a dynasty, if I had a dynasty team, I had a dynasty fantasy football team. Sorry, honey, I'll keep it down. My bad. Um, Chris Olave, I would want a lot of his stock. I think he's going to be really good. If they have a good quarterback. Uh, Between the two of them, yeah. Good young. Seriously, man. Very, very high ceiling potential with both of them, for sure. Before we move off of uh, NFL here, you guys got a a hope for a new Colts head coach you'd like to see. I think Sean Payton's obviously pretty lucrative, but uh, anybody else out there? If you're, in my humble opinion, if you're not going to pay Sean Payton, which I think would be the smartest, most pragmatic thing to do, if you're serious about winning, if you're serious about winning, I think you need to hire one of the, you need to hire one of the coordinators. So if, like, D'Amico Ryans, they interviewed him, I would be fine if he wanted to coach the team. I would not rehire Jeff Saturday. That's my personal opinion. I think that'd be a bad idea. Um, but in general, no matter who they pick as the coach, they need to figure out the quarterback position, man. If if I was running the team, I would pay Lamar Jackson whatever he wants. I would invest in the offensive line, and I would run it back with the team they have. Because the pieces, the building blocks are all there, especially on defense. They had a lot of starters and Pro Bowl players that – basically didn't play for 70, 80, 90% of the season. So I think the bare bones for a championship team is there. Um, but without a quarterback, I mean, you guys see how the NFL is. It, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not playing right now in January. You just aren't. Yeah, you can't compete. Yeah. I would have been fine with Harbaugh, honestly, too. But I saw today that the, the president or something of you of them tweeted out that Harbaugh's coming back. So. Yeah, I mean, I you pay Lamar Jackson fifty million to come into Indy. I mean, if he stays healthy, I think he's worth that. Like you said, Jake, that you guys have got the pieces. But uh, what I worry about is his ability to stay on the field. I think that would concern. I want to pay offer to Chicago for that number one pick and and take your pick of uh, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. Um, you know, both uh, both certainly look like they might be. You got a guy on a rookie contract rather than, uh, yeah. you know, sinking, sinking your whole salary cap. I mean, just look at the Broncos with Russell Wilson right now. I mean, they're, they're going to be doing, you know, hung up on him for a few years. Yeah. Uh, well, Sean Payton's interviewing with them tomorrow. With the Colts? With the Broncos. No, oh. with the Broncos in L.A. They're having an interview. I don't know if he's going to take it, but I'm sure he's – Kind of tempted. Who knows? Oh, if they're willing to pay Russell Mil- Russell Wilson $50 million, I'm sure they'd pay him <laughs> $60 million. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> well, but I, 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 mean, I agree with you, Jake, too, and, and what you're saying. I think you're only a few big pieces away. I've got a division that's wide open just about every year. There's not a you know powerhouse in that division. I don't care what you say about the Jags. And then you look at Jonathan Taylor, you've got a couple of nice young wide receivers. You've still got uh, Quentin Nelson, some, some good. But I look at this as a better job than a place like Carolina or, or Arizona. 
Or New Orleans, man. New Orleans is a shit show, too. And the second that Brady leaves Tampa Bay, they're going to be terrible. They'll have Chris Evans and Godwin, and that's it. And, you know, if you want to count Rashad White, but, like, sitting here watching the football game, dude, this I don't even know how this Tampa Bay team's in the playoffs. They look like absolute butt cheeks right now. They look terrible. (laughs) I would also say, though, if I was Sean Payne, I'd rather live in all those other cities besides Indianapolis. Uh, Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Maybe the exception of Charlotte. That might, one might be a toss up, but weather wise, I mean, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, I know the next thing we wanted to get into, we do a little top five every week, Baker. And uh, with honor of you being on the podcast this weekend, we're going to do a top five Okemos things. Shout um, out to Okemos. Yeah. You or Jake want to start us off with your number five, or do you want me to start off with my number five? Mambo number five? Top five five Okemos anything. It could be memories, it could be things, it could be people. Oh, okay. Literally anything. Why don't we go Jake and then me and then you? And then that way you have time to think each time to give your answer. Okay, well I'm I'm guys first first and foremost, thank you for letting me go first. I appreciate it. Age before beauty, I get it. I appreciate yep. the the honor here. Um but I'm already gonna tell you I'm cheating. I'm putting a tie for number five. Cancun and Asian buffet. Two of the most legendary Okemos restaurants. First of all, Cancun. I've only had one better Tex-Mex food here in the Dallas area than what I can get back at the Cancun in Okemos, Michigan. Okay? The food is legit. Obviously, I am a homer and a sucker for things mid-Michigan, but just for my personal taste, I'm telling you, the chimichanga dinner at Cancun has been better at every single Tex-Mex restaurant that I have been to, except for there is one here called Las Palmas in Dallas that's really legit. Um, Asian Buffet, part of the, like, mystique around Asian Buffet was they had this ridiculous billboard, and I'm paraphrasing because (laughs) I don't remember what it said, but it was basically, (laughs) my our English is terrible, but our food is great. It said bad English, great food. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was that was right on the bridge when you went into Oakland. I remember that. And they had the little red. They had this like red meat on a skewer, and I used to call it squirrel meat. I don't actually know what kind of meat it was, um, but I always used to tell people it was squirrel meat. But uh, oh, the food there was delicious, man. I loved it. We would go there all the time. Um, so that was my number five. It was uh, the two restaurants there. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, my number five was, uh, my senior year water polo team, just, uh, like everything about it. Uh, that's when Baker and I became close friends and met each other. And, uh, yeah, just a crazy cast of characters, everybody on our team. And we had a great time, a lot of great memories. And then, uh, also kind of within that are the senior spring break down in Florida that Baker also, (laughs) that was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) This was a PG podcast, Sam. I didn't think that was going to come up. 
hey, it's PG. I'm going to leave it at that. We don't have to get into details. We just uh, spring break happened and things happen on spring break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, 2009 water polo season, Sam, I've got that in my notes here. I, you know, kind of made a note to myself too. That's, as you guys know, probably worth its own episode someday. I mean, that's, that's a year or a season rather that, uh, you know, I'm never going to forget. I don't have the, the greatest memory to pull things, you know, from my sophomore, junior year of high school, but I feel like, you know, there's a lot from that couple months stretch that I remember, you know, happened in such a short amount of time with so many good people and um, obviously a lot of difficult circumstances that led to that season but um you know it's just like more memorable and you know a lot of great relationships come out of that we all learned a lot we all grew up pretty quick so um shout that out um with that I'll I'll start with my number five and, you know, since we're talking old memories now and stuff that sticks with you, um, I'm going to say Mr. Saltz and Sam. I'm Ooh, gonna, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry if that's the case. But, uh, you know, there's not often, uh, at, yeah, at 30 years old that you have a teacher that, you know, pops into your mind every now and then because of something you learned from them or a moment in their class. Um, you know, when I moved up here to Alaska, I actually reached out to Mr. Saltz. I'm a 30-year-old adult, but, um, <laughs> you know, he uh, he ran for local um, election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I experience, you know, what he learned, you know, uh, um, apply it to what I do now. And, um, you know, A hundred percent, man. Mr. Saltz is my favorite teacher of all time, hands down. Um, I still use questions, comments, concerns. I stole that from him almost every single day, anytime I'm leading a meeting or anything like that. Um, and I had him for a few different classes, but I would definitely say the world uh, religions class I took with him. That was my favorite, where he just really challenged us to think on our own and really uh, open our minds. And yeah, no, I mean, to your point, you know, it sticks to you 30 years when you're 30, which is pretty impressive and crazy at the same time. But yeah, no, that was a good number five. Jake, uh, what's uh, number four for you? Number four, Kohler Brothers Basement. Shout out to the Kohler Brothers. Um, The Kohler Brothers Basement for me, when, when you play a sport, like when you play water polo, you swim, you're, and it's, I'm sure it's like this with all sports, but you inevitably end up hanging out with the people that are on the same schedule as you and the Kohler brothers, you know, both of them, the same age difference between Sam and myself. So naturally we gravitated towards each other, but they, we had made so many memories hanging out in that basement, uh, playing ping pong, we, uh, watching bootleg DVDs, um, carpooling to the movie theater. I mean, playing World Cup in the 
in the backyard. I mean, the, but the basement in general, it just, it was a very, it was like always the place to hang out for me for the vast majority. Well, pretty much all of high school, I guess I would say. Uh, but yeah, shout out to the Kohler brothers, man. That was awesome. I just love being there. And, uh, you know, really solidified a lot of friendships that I have still to this day, you know, people I consider family and uh, that was my number four. <clears throat> a lot of good pool school ball battles. Oh, way too many. Um, way too many. My number four was uh, a very specific one. My junior year during a winter uh, storm, uh, <laughs> I took the Suburban <laughs> with Zach, Cameron, and Greg, and we went around in Greg's neighborhood, and we had um, – like the rope that you use to go tubing. <laughs> and then we tied that on the hitch of the Suburban and then just had one person sit in the sled and we just drove around. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but then our parents found out and I got grounded, which wasn't as fun. Little yeah, cause. I remember you get that <laughs> for that. Little cause and effect. <laughs> I'm going to cheat a little bit, too. Um, I'm going to cross over Hagedorn, which is technically East Lansing City Limits. But uh, we were spoiled to have that at our fingertips uh, growing up. And that's a place where I, when I go see my parents, I uh, still try to get out there and do a workout and an executive workout. Um, I mean, you guys probably have nice gyms in, in Dallas. I don't know if you belong to them, but, like, it's even hard for me to find a gym that's on that level in a lot of the places I've been. Dude, I was going to say. I haven't found one, Alex. I haven't found a gym that's up to the max level. I have yet to see one. I've lived in six cities yeah. and have yet found any place as nice as the Mac and complete as the Mac. Like, the Mac has everything. It has a goddamn restaurant. Okay, for those who do not know, yeah. you have locker room one, locker room two. You've got a hot tub and cold tub in each. You have a dry sauna in each. You have a wet sauna in locker room one. You have two different athletic pools that you can use. You have outdoor tennis courts. You have a very expansive weight room. You have an entire floor dedicated to cardio, yoga. There's a fitness studio where you can do like the jazzercise, Zumba type classes. They have the, um, the basketball courts. There's two different basketball courts. There's a massive tr indoor track. And then all of the tennis courts, which they put the bubble up and then take down in the summer. I mean, I was fortunate enough to work there, you know, and uh, I guess we can say this now. But one of my kind of leading into my number three was actually was actually going to be the just the Mac itself. So I'm piggybacking on you, Baker. Um, I was going to say, wait, wait to Bogart and steal Baker's shine. <laughs> Sorry, I was just, I was, just, I, I mean, the Mac is a Mac is a shared experience. Jake probably put in more hours there than me, um, so I think uh, I kind of jumped the gun, and that's probably one that he uh, he could take in. <laughs> Not at all. I just wanted to tell one funny story about the Mac. So my very first job was working at the Mac. My dad walked in with me so I could turn the application, and I turned it in. My boss was this guy named Dave Jones. I don't know if you remember him, Baker, but. Um, within the first probably six months that I worked there, because I would only work weekends, I was working a double shift. I'm 
I'm 14 years old and I'm working from whatever it was eight to five or something like that, six, whatever the shift was. And I went in to take a nap on my lunch break and Baker's mom walked in while I was taking a nap and she goes, Hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm taking a nap. She goes, you're not allowed to do that. I'm like, Oh, I'm on my break. She goes, you're not allowed to take naps on your break. Didn't Dave tell you? And I was scared shitless. I didn't even know who she was at the time because I didn't know Baker that well at the time. I knew of him, but I mean, I was 14. So, you know, it's not like I knew you or all the other kids all that, all that well. Um, but at any rate, the reason I still remember it is because years later, uh, whenever I think about like, Oh, I'm tired or something, that is, that is the memory that I go back to of just being like, oh, shit, I cannot sleep on the job at any point in time ever, blah, 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 blah. Your mom just, dude, oh, I was so petrified, man. I was worried I was going to get fired. It was one of the scariest moments uh, working for me at that time. But, yeah. That is why all teenagers of the Mac need a union. Coming to you. <laughs> uh, my number three was uh, kind of a combo one. It was uh, just like the nickname Smokemus. I always thought that was really funny. Um, like no known origin, but it was one of those things where like I remember uh, Andy Whittem, who was a senior when Jake was a freshman, even talking about it. So it was just something that felt like it was around forever and ever. <laughs> Um, and also just the close proximity to Michigan State that lends itself to a lot of fun, a lot of extracurricular activities. What's your number three, Baker? Yeah, with my number three, I'm going to go with another person. And uh, a person the people on this show know pretty well. I'll go with uh, the one and only Ron Marsh. Oh, hey. <laughs> Shout out to my dad, man. Shout out to Coach Marsh. Yeah, you know, uh, you ask a hundred different people what they think about Ron Marsh, you'll probably get a hundred different opinions. Um, <laughs> Ron, Speaking Ron of polarizing. My, <laughs> Ron was my high school water polo coach, and for those who don't know, who are listening to the show, um, Ron also swam and played water polo with my uncle at Okemos High School in the 70s. Um, and when Chippewa was high school, water polo was like pretty, pretty young in the state of Michigan, um, and all that stuff. So I had met Ron a couple times growing up, but didn't really get to know him until he became my water polo coach, uh, pretty much in the nine season. Um, he also coached me later when I played club at Michigan State. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think about that 2009 season, and obviously, uh, your dad was a big part of that as our coach. Um, yeah. dad um i always felt he treated me fair you know i felt he did his best to be a good coach um you know uh, coaching high school water polo um and, and water polo is not the easiest job in the world you know
the water polo. Uh, Yeah. Also, probably I'll the look. first person in your life that threatened to shove a size 15 shoe up your ass. <laughs> first and last. First and last. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. You know what, dude? He would he would be really tickled and honored to hear that uh, that you still talk about him, man. So I will definitely pass that along. I think one of the things my dad has always what i don't know if he does or not i don't i, I don't know I, I quite literally haven't asked him i know he, he listened to one i'm not sure if he listened to the additional ones i would be surprised if my dad was a podcast guy He's i might be able listen to, to us him. for 32 years he turns on he goes one laugh all right i'm done tell, uh, play, their, their next water polo game, he's going to put this episode on and they've got to do a trend set through all what? Hour, 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 whatever we're at right now. Uh, Every time the marshes laugh, you got to go elbows out. Yeah. <laughs> That's cruel and unusual punishment, man. Going double sweatshirts today, everybody. Oh. <laughs> uh, what All right, you got for so your second one, Jake? For number two, I have Mr. Schmibble. That's a good one. Mr. Schmibble was my the custom license plate my mom put on this beat. It wasn't beat up. It was actually really sturdy. It was a 1990 Oldsmobile. Uh, I don't know what it was called. Olds? It was a 9288 Olds. 88 Olds was the... Like, yeah, that's what it was. Whatever it was. Here was the deal about this car. It was a massive, a massive hunk of just pure steel. This thing was a freaking, it, it could have been a transformer had it been in a different universe is all I'm saying. Um, but Mr. Schmibble was the license plate that went on the back of this car because my mom decided that in lieu of me getting the driver's license and being able to drive, I have requested that we try and get a shared license plate that Sam Marie and I would all be able to use. The problem was we couldn't agree on anything. So my mom came up with Marshmobile. That's what it was supposed to be. M-R-S-H-M-B-L. Well, I don't know who said Mr. Schmibble first. I want to say, yeah, that's what it was. Um, at any rate, but it just stuck. And uh, so, you know, out of the many nicknames I've had in my life, Schmibble has been one of them. But that license plate we still use to this day in uh, our fantasy league for the person that wins the most regular season game. So shout out to Mr. Schmibble. Yeah, Suburban was better, though. <laughs> yeah, it was better. But Schmibble will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> my number two is is a really funny one. Um, it was when Wozniak and I uh, we were hanging out, and uh, I think it was maybe freshman year, maybe sophomore year of high school. Um, but it was at Zach's house, and Sasso was gonna come over, and Zach and I just got done eating Taco Bell, and so we had the leftover wrappers. 
And so we thought it would be funny if we put shit in a Taco Bell wrapper and convinced Sasa that it was like a taco. So we we got shit in the Taco Bell wrapper and then asked him if he wanted it. And when he was walking up, we like threw it to him and he grabbed it like midair and just squeezed the shit no. out of it <laughs> like a stupid toothpaste. Uh, luckily no. none, none got on him but it was funny it was hilarious <laughs> oh man poor sasso <laughs> none got on him so yeah he just had to grab your shit that's, that's all <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Zach What'd you got? Uh, so my, uh, my number two is if you guys were Tacoma Hills kid, I was a Shoals kid, and uh, you know, my house backs up to some woods, and you know, growing up, that's just kind of where we hang out. Uh, like soft. We built tree houses. We fucked around back there. Um, and I was talking with a coworker the other day. It was about my age, and it was like they kind of childhood, and like I was like thirty. We're kind of last generation before smartphones really came out. Like, I got a BlackBerry, I want to say, like, my junior high school. Through most of high school, uh, you know, GameCubes, PS2, like, you know, I think Xbox 360, maybe maybe late in high school. But we were kind of last generation to just, like, you know, go out there on your bike and, like, hopefully show up when it gets dark out. Or, like, you know, it was a different kind of different kind of time and it, i feel like a boomer saying that but like it truly was like we would just go go back there after school with our airsoft guns and like you know i remember uh we biked to home depot to get some tools to like you know build various things to like you know enhance our airsoft experience back there and uh we just kept ourselves entertained for hours back there and um we would hike back you know if you go far enough behind my house you actually come out at harris nature center so like you know, there's quite a bit to explore back there. And, you know, as a seventh, eighth grade kid, like that was fun, you know, like seeing where you pop out and then, uh, you know, hiking on back to the shoals, uh, the Grand Rivers back there. Um, so that's just, you know, kind of a defining um, part of my childhood. And when I think about like some of the stuff I like to do now, like just kind of getting outside and uh, exploring and it's a little bit different level in the woods of Okemos. But, uh, I, I, appreciation for uh for being outside and, and keeping myself entertained it's crazy too because i feel like you only have to go just like a few years younger than us for that experience to be completely changed like to your point i didn't get an iphone till i was like 21 but i'm sure people just only like three or four years younger than us you know probably had an iphone or maybe five years throughout their entire high school so that would have just been a completely different experience right from there. And I mean, I didn't start using Twitter till my senior year of high school. So by then, yeah, I mean, freshmen, they would have had an entire uh, high school with like Twitter. So it definitely is weird uh, how much that changes. And like what you said, the kind of like the last generation to go outside and play. Well, and I mean, Sam, you remember this, but how many times would mom or dad during the summer just be like, go outside and come back. Don't come back before dinner. I mean, more times than I can count, just go outside and come home later, you know, and we'd get the whole gang together, whether it be, you know, go in the field or, you know, you and I would go to, we used to bike to QD all the time to get Slurpees, you know, 
just just a very different uh, lifestyle from what a lot of people uh, what a lot of people experience. You know, like you guys have been saying. Yeah. Although based on when I visited last, I still feel like if you uh, like have a family in Okemos, you can raise them that lifestyle. All is not lost. You just have to. Find yeah. It. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Without further ado, numero uno, what you got, Jake? Numero uno, again, I find my again, I find myself piggybacking off of Baker, but um, my number one Okemos thing slash memory is the Sander Nature Preserve, aka the field. That field, from the time that we moved to Okemos, when this would have been in 1997, until, you know, probably when did mom move away from Okemos, Sam? What year was that? 2012? 2013? Yeah. So th- those 15 years, I mean, I used to walk my dog. We used to walk Molly in there all the time, you know, Um just absolute amazing memories. It was beautiful back there. It was very tranquil. Nobody went back there. I remember when we, not terribly long after we first moved, the whole thing caught on fire, which was crazy. Like the entire field caught on fire. But, um, you know, if I wanted to go hang out with you guys, for example, Baker near the Shoals, all I had to do was just cross the Sander Nature Preserve. It would hit right out on Dobie. And then I could basically just get to any of the other neighborhoods that most of my friends lived in, you know, like most of my friends lived off of Hatch or Birchwood, you know, uh, Forest Hills right in there. That's that's all right back in there. That's where most of you guys lived. So um, it was just really nice to be able to to go into that field and. You just felt like a kid every time you walked back there. I, I don't know. It. uh I'd love it. I mean, anytime I go back, I like going on walks in there if I can. It's been a while, but it's a very nice place for just a nice, peaceful walk. Yeah, nature is top-notch. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is a big combo. It is just all the local places and establishments. Um, the Mac, Buddies, uh, going even further out, NCG, as we already talked about, Asian Buffet. Um, the Blockbuster on the corner of what Hamilton and Grand River before that closed down. Uh, there used to be a Pizza Hut buffet off Grand River that was really dope. But uh, Meyer, um, also the one cafe with the camel. Maybe it's even called the Camel Cafe. Sip and snack. Sip and snack. Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, really just all the local establishments. Woods Marathon. Um, that really made it feel like home. Do you guys think you could eat an entire sir Buddy's nachos right now? No. No, I can't eat that much. God, man, I would kill for some Buddy's nachos, dude. Um, hey, speaking of sip and snack, I'll tell a story. I don't know if uh, Forrest is one of our listeners here. But shortly, before it clo- short, shortly before it closed, so this was after you graduated, Sam, when I was a senior, Forrest was a junior. Um, we went after swim practice one morning to sip and snack. I think it was me, Landon Leffler, James Otis, and Forrest. And Forrest just goes out of nowhere. My dad's got a tab. Let's just throw it on there. Sure. Let's throw it on your tab. 
lo and behold, like next Saturday practice, we were like, oh yeah, let's go back to sip and snack. Boris isn't with us, but it's me, James, and uh, Landon again. <laughs> oh yeah, this one's on Steve Taylor's tab. <laughs> <laughs> we did that a couple more times. <laughs> and uh, apparently Steve goes to Boris and like, what's going on? My tab's $240 when I went to go settle up. <laughs> If you're listening, I'm sorry, Steve, if you're listening, you can't see me right now, but you can hear me. My middle finger is up, and uh, $40 tab, buddy. You're not worried he's going to take you to small claims court? (laughs) He used to tell me he was going to kick my ass to Traverse City. Right, because it was like you know little nickel and dot like uh pancakes and and you know orders of bacon and hash browns. So, yeah, that was a lot. Um, but you know I can blame that on Forrest. Forrest used to be a little salty back in the day. Um, hey, I mean it helped fuel the my, team. My, <laughs> my uh my number one, Sam. I'm gonna draft off of you again. The local business mentioned in your in your list uh previously. Okemos Barbershop. Um, it's where I got my haircut. Went up, and um, anyone who's ever been in there knows that it's like entering a time portal to the uh, American 1970s. I mean, that is a little slice of uh, Americana when you go in there. Like, I, I don't think that anything has been changed in there. Um, I think, you know, uh, I don't think about Barbershop was uh, a guy named Vince. Uh, Vince Senior came over in uh, 1962, founded the barbershop. He was an Italian immigrant. Um, my grandpa started going there shortly after. He was a Dutch immigrant, so they kind of hit it off to two European immigrants in little old Okemos, Michigan, back when the Four Corners was, you know, um, you know, my grandpa. I went there for a long time, got his hair cut. My dad went there. I went there. So whenever I'm back in mid-Michigan, I got a little time to spare and my, my hair to use it. I, I go in there and um, it brings back a lot of memories. And also it's just like, you know, I, I feel good about supporting a family-owned business like that. Um, and you go in there and you're, you're going to, you know, not everyone likes this, but I'll see someone I know from Okemos and I have a good, good little chat with them. It just, it truly feels like a little neighborhood place. It's kind of like, buddies, you know, you'll probably see someone, you know, someone you don't mind sharing a few, you know, pleasantries with. And, um, you talk a little bit of Michigan state sports, um, you know, shoot the shit. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's gotta be a, a top Okemos one for me. Yeah. That's another great one. That four corners has completely changed. They wiped out where, uh, the tuba museum that was oh, and, the tuba uh, museum, the oh. ACE hardware and, uh, the like dance shop or whatever that was uh, all those buildings got wiped out yeah the tuba museum was the was the cat's meow man i actually was lucky enough to have a to have a beer there once upon a time yeah shout out to the museum well now we are on to the quote zone quote zone quote zone uh, this baker is each week, uh, if you've been, 
I'm, you've been listening. Uh, Jake and I each bring a quote, and we try to guess it. Um, if you brought one, great. But if you didn't, no pressure. Maybe you'll think one after we go, or if you just want to guess along with us, that works out as well. Um, but I'll lead off. Uh, I think this one is a pretty easy one, but I watched it uh, this week, and so then that led to my choice. A movie? Uh, yeah, this one is going to be from a movie. It's a movie, people. Yours doesn't have to be from a movie, but I would be pretty much guaranteeing that every single one of my quote zones on every episode of the podcast will be from a movie. Yeah. Um, but without further ado, no one makes me bleed my own blood. Oh, uh, wait, is Baker supposed to guess or do you want me to guess? Both of you, whoever gets it first. It's from Dodgeball. It's uh, what's his, uh, the main character, not Blazer or Laser, but um, Ben Stiller's character with the mustache. Fuck, I can't remember his name. Dwight Goodman, yeah. Dwight Goodman, yeah. 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 Amazing yeah. movie, Sam. Wonderful choice, by the way. Yeah, I love it. It's an all-timer. It really is, man. We gotta watch that again soon. We haven't seen that. I, well, I should say I have not seen it in a while. You quite literally just said you watched it, so I guess I'm on my own. Yeah, HBO Max. Okay, I'm up. Uh, okay, the quote is, and I I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation here, but quis custodit ipsos custodes. Baker, do you know what it is? It's, I know it's Latin. Uh, no. Okay, so it, no, um, but that is a good guess. It I is know what phrase, it is. Well, Sam, you, yeah, yeah, it's who guards the guards. It's one of Jake's all-time favorite phrases. I don't know what it's from. I just know, like, if Jake's gonna say a Latin phrase, it's a hundred percent who guards the guards. In my opinion, it's one of the most important. It, it's, I guess you could say it's from philosophy because it was written by this Roman poet person named Juvenal, ironically enough. Um, but it is directly translated as who will guard the guards. And essentially it is a philosophical question, philosophical question. Who is going to watch over the people that are watch over, watching over us all? Right. So who has the check on the people that are in power? Um, it is often kind of synonymous with Plato, uh, in Plato's Republic, if either of you have ever read that, but, um, he discusses that, uh, a little bit in his works, you know, who is in charge of guarding the people that are in power and how do you safeguard those people in power from becoming corrupt over and over again um and i just like it because i feel like it you can use it in any modern uh, or any time ever in human history and it would apply um and yeah that was it yeah it's a solid one baker did you uh are you able to come up with one or is it too much on the spot well i've got one here i've got my uh steady um staple of poker quotes it's going to be a labor quote. Um, and I'm going to go to Dwight B. Eisenhower, who um, was probably the last pro. He was probably a net pro on labor. 
as a president, and he was a Republican, you know, as as you know. But the quote goes: Should any political party attempt to abolish abolish laws and farm programs, you would hear that party again in our political history. So essentially, saying. And farm programs. What, what, what do you stand for? Well, we got one of our major parties whose core platform is pretty much eliminating all four things in somehow <laughs> gaining power in most of our states in Washington, D.C. I mean, social security. Um, you know, I could wax on about our, you know, I mean, Dwight D. Eisenhower is one of the better presidents. Republicans love to claim him as their own. Um, here it is in, in 2022. I mean, you've got prominent Republican senators saying a, a policy goal is Very well put. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. You're breaking up towards the end there too, Baker. Well, I think the listeners have probably heard enough of me for one day. So, uh, <laughs> uh, <probably> <laughs> oh no! I mean, hopefully, we just uh, I'll do some more research so we can I can figure out a little better better uh, quality control for next time because I, I love listening to you. You're definitely a great person to have on and talk to. Um, the last part that we do every week is a word of the week. So this one, I know you'll definitely be able to think of one uh, by the end of it. But my word of the week, word of the week, word of the week, word of the week. Um, my word of the week is farcical. Farcical? Yeah. Do you know what that means? Well, I heard fartsicle, but now I'm thinking what farcical means. Um, <laughs> hmm. Farcical. Uh, I don't know what that means, Sam. Tell me. Yeah, I mean, it is relating to or resembling a farce, which I feel like is uh, pretty self-explanatory uh, in the name farcical. Uh, but it's especially because of, like, absurd or ridiculous uh aspects so like the whole situation has become farcical looking at oh the... okay now i understand got it yeah damn i missed that one shit what'd you come with jake uh i had one of my favorites it uh is the word propensity i'm pretty sure you got this one propensity propensity that's like a inclination to something right yeah, so you have a propensity towards a certain type of behavior or you have a propensity towards choosing, you know, orange flavored soda at the supermarket. Like it the dictionary that I wrote down was an inclination or natural tendency to behave in a certain way. So you nailed it on the head. Bravo. Bravo. What do you have, Baker? Is there uh, maybe a specific labor word that you would like to teach us? Oh, um, not a labor word, but I've got another one um, that, you know, 
correctly, but I'll, I'll do my best to say it here. That's acquiesce. Got that. Ooh, that's a good one. But without protest. What's it mean? Um, yeah. Accept something reluctantly, but without protest. Reluctantly, but without protest. Interesting. So basically, giving up. Yeah, like when Baker acquiesced the chess match at one time. Yeah. I am, a, if anybody is unaware, that I am undefeated against uh, Baker, who is the state chess champion. <laughs> no, no, no debate here. I'm just waiting for my rematch. <laughs> I don't know if I'm willing to relinquish that trophy quite yet. <laughs> Sam's not willing to acquiesce his title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks again for coming on, Baker. We really appreciate it. Uh, We'll definitely have to get you on again, although this is going to be our longest podcast to date. It still definitely wasn't enough time. So uh, both Jake and I and all the listeners, thank you for hopping on, and uh, we look forward to having you on the next time. Thank you for coming on, brother. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Talk to you guys for hours. I don't know how many people would stick around for, for more than uh, that we've done today, but look forward <laughs> to talking again. And, um, yeah. Yeah, thanks again, guys. <laughs> Take care. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Brothers and Others, hosted by the Marsh Brothers. We wanted to remind you to email us at brothersmarsh at gmail.com with any questions you'd like answered on the pod or any topics you'd like covered. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at brothers, capital N, others. Last but not least, ensure to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That's That's it for now. now. Until Until next time. time.